Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, by uh, Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show lined up for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. He's the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is May the 4th, and on this day in 1886 at Haymarket Square in Chicago, Illinois, a bomb was thrown at a squad of policemen attempting to break up what had begun as a peaceful labor rally. The police responded with wild gunfire, killing several people in the crowd and injuring dozens more. The demonstration, which grew some 1,500 Chicago workers, was organized by German-born labor radicals in protest of the killing of a striker by the Chicago police the day before. Midway into the rally, which had thinned out because of rain, a force of nearly 200 policemen arrived to disperse the workers. As the police advanced towards the 300 remaining protesters, an individual was never positively identified threw a bomb at them. After the explosion and the subsequent police gunfire, more than a dozen people lay dead or dying and close to 100 were injured. The Haymarket Square riot set off a national wave of xenophobia as hundreds of foreign-born radicals and labor leaders were rounded up in Chicago and elsewhere. A grand jury eventually indicted 31 suspected labor radicals in connection with the bombing, and eight men were convicted in sensational and controversial trial. Judge Joseph Gary imposed the death sentence on the seven of the men, and the eighth was sentenced to 15 years in prison. On November the 11th, 1887, Samuel Feldon, Adolf Fisher, August Spies, and Albert Parson were executed. Of the three others uh, sentenced to death, one died by suicide in the eve of his execution, and the other two had been there, had their death sentences commuted by life imprisonment by Illinois Governor Rick. Richard Oglesby. Governor Oglesby reacted to widespread public questioning of their guilt, which later led to his successor, Governor John P. Altgeld, to pardon fully the three activists still remaining and living in 1893. The Haymarket Square Riot. Hate to see that. So a Collier County governor, uh, uh, judge, I should say, has ruled against a disgruntled neighbor in a contentious property right dispute involving the Naples Beach Club uh, the development project, now this has been going on for a long time, in an order signed Monday, Judge Lauren Brody granted summary judgment in favor of the defendants and the developers and current previous owners of the former Beach Naples Beach Hotel property. Residents uh, Gregory Myers, he filed the suit in May of uh, last year on the eve of the planned sale, leading to a sudden but temporary delay in the closing. His wife, Barbara Ann Kelly, joined the civil action many months later. Based on publicly recorded plats and easements, Myers asserted that he and his wife had an interest in the landmark property of Gulf Shore Boulevard, stretching 125 acres and including an 18-hole golf course. With the interest, he argued that the couple should have more power to determine what becomes of the property, even if they don't own any of it. That doesn't make sense to me, but that was his point of view. The judge, Brody, decided otherwise. The judge reserved a decision on awarding any damages caused by the plaintiffs. Now, that could be for substantial uh, legal fees and so forth. So that still hangs over Brody's head, or uh, not over Brody, but over uh, the uh, plaintiff's head. She permanently restricted Myers and his wife from using or accessing the property, even to watch the sunset or get a drink at the bar, as other residents and outsiders can freely do now. In his suit, uh, Myers raised concerns about losing his easy uh, beach access and the beauty of the golf course due to the proposed development. He claimed those losses could hurt uh, his and his wife's property values and ruin their way of life, doing the same to other close-by neighbors. Myers lives on Gulf Shore Boulevard North, less about a half a mile from the former hotel. Since then, Myers has filed, uh, fought the project on many fronts. He still has other suits pending, including ones against the city and city planner, challenging the approval process for it. Some people just don't like change, do they? 
But uh, this is a good change, a change for the good, and I'm sure he will sooner or later adapt, even though he can't get a drink at the bar or go on the property. Well, the state is moving ahead with a $20 million in grants for 98 coastal planning and resiliency projects uh, spread across Florida. Coastal resiliency is one of the top priorities, Governor Ron DeSantis said, is at a press conference Tuesday at Lover's Key State Park. Some projects would relocate structures out of flood zone areas. Some are elevating or relocation of wastewater and drinking water facilities, and some would raise the elevation of buildings, road sand, and other infrastructure, and some would establish living shorelines to reduce storm impacts, DeSantis said. Called the Resilient Florida Program Planning Grants, the overall program aims to better prepare coastal and inland for sea level rise, for the first time, Florida has strategic coordination guide guiding statewide efforts to protect coastal and inland infrastructure and dedicated funding to support these projects, DeSantis said. These grants will strengthen Florida's infrastructure to withstand the impacts of flooding and storm surge. My administration will continue the momentum to support resilience in communities across the state. Well done, Governor. And, of course, this uh, addresses the quote-unquote uh, climate change issue without calling it climate change. What we're trying to do is protect the beaches and the communities surrounding uh, the area <clears throat> from storm surge and other uh, water catastrophes such as that. And the governor's, I think, got a great program to make that happen. Well, the Supreme Court has confirmed in a statement that the leaked draft document that would overturn Roe v. Wade is real. The ruling was not meant to be released until summer, and the leak uh, may speed up the timeline. An investigation has been launched by Chief Justice John Roberts. The statement from the court reads, Yesterday, a news organization published a copy of a draft opinion in a pending case. Uh, justices circulated draft opinions internally as a routine and essential part of the court's confidential deliberative work. Although the document described in yesterday's report is authentic, it does not represent a decision by the court or a final position of any member on the issues in this case, Chief Justice John G. Roberts, Jr. also provided a statement to the extent this betrayal of the confidences of the court was intended to undermine the integrity of our operations. It will not succeed, said the Chief Justice. The work of the court will not uh, be affected in any way. We at the court are blessed to have a workforce, permanent employees and law clerks alike, intensely loyal to the institution and dedicated to the rule of law. Court employees have an exemplary and important tradition of respecting the confidentiality of judicial process and upholding the trust of the court. This was a singular and egregious breach of that trust that is an affront to the court and to the community of public servants who work here or on the source of the I have directed the marshal of court to uh, launch an investigation to source to find the source of the leak. The leak has garnered a lot of attention from those on the left, including Presidential Joe Biden, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, and New York Senator Chuck Schumer. In a statement prior to the leak document's verification, Biden said his administration strongly supports Roe v. Wade, saying that it's based on long line of precedent recognizing the 14th Amendment concept of personal liberty against governor, government interference with intensely personal decisions. Sure he does. In the meantime, he's making everybody get uh, vaccines. How do you make? How do you square that one? I don't know. I believe the woman's right to choose is fundamental. Roe has been the law of the land for almost 50 years, and basic fairness and stability of our law demand that it not be overturned. He wrote. Cortez was more direct, saying that it was time to leave it all on the field and amend America's Constitution to include it. People elected Democrats precisely so we could lead the perilous moments like these to codify Roe, hold corruption accountable, and have presidents who use his illegal authority to break through congressional gridlock or items from student debt to climate, <laughs> she wrote. Uh, going for it all, isn't she? If we don't, what message does that send? We can't sit around, finger point, and hand wring as people in futures equality are on the line. It's time to be decisive, lead with confidence, fight for a prosperous future for all, and protect the vulnerable. That's Cortez. Speaking on the Senate floor, Schumer said this morning, last night, 
Our report disclosed a conservative majority of the United States Supreme Court is ready to overturn Roe v. Wade and uproot decades of precedent affirming a woman's right to abortion. If this report is accurate, the Supreme Court is poised to inflict the greatest restriction of rights in the past 50 years, not just on women, but on all Americans, Schumer said. Under the decision, our children would have less rights than their parents. Well, of course, uh, Roe v. Wade... In my opinion, well, we'll talk about this more with Andrew Jopp, I'm sure, but uh, in my opinion, uh, it was never inappropriate to be a, to be a, a, a decision by the Supreme Court in the first place. This is all about states' rights, Ninth and Tenth Amendments. Uh, states should be making the decisions about their uh, these types of issues, not the Supreme Court, and certainly not the, uh, the United States government. So uh, we'll see you know, how this will impact, but right now, of course, it's kind of strange that everybody had signs. Everybody was ready for this. Was to me, in 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 my view, has looked very orchestrated. Number one, the drop, the leak of this thing, and then the uh, the uh, uh, protests that occurred in front of the Supreme Court, all orchestrated, in my opinion, and the opinions that are being expressed. All twenty-two candidates in Ohio and Indiana endorsed by President Donald Trump completed a clean sweep Tuesday in Tuesday's primaries, including the strength of a Trump endorsement is a mighty, uh, as mighty as, it ever, as it's ever been. It really has some impact. Former White House political director Brian Jack says, when we saw in Texas earlier this year was confirmed, and yet again tonight, President Trump's endorsement is the most important endorsement in politics. Endorsed candidates are combined 55 and 0, in 2022 primaries, a continuation of the historic endorsement streak of the success that started during his time in the White House. Populist candidate J.D. Vance's win in the crowded Ohio Senate primary is a welcome news to other Trump-endorsed candidates and is a potential harbinger of things to come in upcoming races in other states. Making Vance's victory all the more impressive was his ability to stave off the crowded Senate field with three other candidates who sought Trump's endorsement in addition to being targeted by a Republican establishment and donor class. Vance, who authored the best-selling book Hillbilly Elegy, if you haven't read it, it is terrific. I understand it's a movie. I didn't see the movie, but the book is great. Anyhow, Hillbilly uh, Elegy received Trump's endorsement, or I should say, Vance received his endorsement on April the 15th and enjoyed a substantial boost in the polls following the uh, president's nod. Vance was polling around 10% in fifth place before Trump's backing. He took home 32% of the vote uh, yesterday. The power of the Trump uh, president's uh, endorsement is undeniable. His uh, dominance over the Republican power brokers in D.C. cannot be overstated, and the promise of this MAGA movement will not just define the midterms, but will win for years to come. Strongly believe that. Well, the Department of Labor uh, Statistics yesterday released data suggesting that 4.5 million Americans quit their jobs in March amid soaring inflation and fuel prices. I wonder why. It could be that people basically say it just isn't worth it, paying all that money to go to work, having to get babysitters, all these things. Maybe just uh, kind of washes out. But nevertheless, it's really added to the uh, workforce and to the uh, jobs available right now. ZipRecruiter chief economist Julia Pollack commented on the news uh, through Twitter, referring to the market as the greatest job seekers market of all time. There you go. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com to learn more. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute, that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. 
What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. Another Revolution is running right now and getting great reviews, and you can get tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and author and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. And for the last several weeks, we've been talking about the incongruence of a, a big, big federal government and the Constitution. They don't quite match up, and some of the decisions in the Supreme Court has made in the modern era that have contributed to that. And I wanted to pick up on the discussion of eminent domain, domain abuse, So where does the authority for eminent domain come from? Well, there was an infamous case back in 2005 called Kelo versus City of New London. And the issue was a person who had a cherished home, Mrs. Kelo, in which she lived for many years, and along comes a private developer. He promises the city more jobs and higher taxes if the city will just condemn Mrs. Kelo's property and those of her neighbors and seize their homes under the power of eminent domain and turn it over to this private developer. So Kilo, in that case, lost her home because the developer convinced the city that he knew how to use her property better than she did. And specifically, he claimed that he would get Pfizer to build a pharmaceutical plant and then add a hotel and apartment buildings and naturally Mrs. Kelo wasn't wild about the idea, and she pointed to this taking clause in the Fifth Amendment, which says private property can be seized by government, but only if it's for public use. And usually that means things like roads or military bases or government buildings, not a hotel and not a pharmaceutical plant for Pfizer. So what did the Supreme Court have to say about all this? Well, when the Supremes weighed in, Justice Stevens, along with the other liberals, and joined uh, by one sort of conservative, uh, Justice Kennedy, uh, decided that the Constitution didn't really mean public use. It meant public purpose. And economic development met that test. Uh, 
so that when they took <clears throat> Mrs. Kilo's home, it wasn't for a public use, obviously, but it did, said the court, serve a public purpose, provide a public benefit, higher taxes, and <clears throat> more jobs. Of course, if, if that's a standard, then nobody nobody's property is safe from mm-hmm. the uh, government's bulldozer because, it, you know, it's always possible to conceive of commercial development that generates more taxes and more jobs right. uh, than do uh, private uh, residences. Wow, that's scary. So what happened in the aftermath of the Kilo case? Well, fortunately, there is a, an epilogue, <clears throat> thanks to a media campaign by the Institute for Justice, which... Um, litigated the case and lost in the Supreme Court. Uh, the Kelo decision, it created public outrage unseen since uh, since what we're going through now with Roe v. Wade. Um, as a result, uh, 43 states passed uh, legislation that, to one degree or another, trumped uh, the Kelo decision and reined in the use of, economic, uh, of eminent domain for economic development. And there are two lessons to be learned there. First, there's more than one way to win a case. Even if you lose in court, you can take your case to the court of public opinion mm-hmm. and try for some remedial legislation, and the Institute for Justice succeeded. And second, uh, the states can always grant greater protection <clears throat> for individual rights than the feds. Uh, the U.S. Constitution sets a floor and not a ceiling. And actually, we're going to see that uh, uh, work its way during the uh, abortion debate. No matter what the Supreme Court comes down with, uh, the states can always grant more rights uh, to uh, individual liberty uh, than the federal government does. Uh, One other interesting fact, even though Kelo's home was relocated, uh, the Pfizer plant never happened. So neither did the hotel or the apartment buildings. And Pfizer actually closed a nearby facility, <clears throat> given the business conditions at the time. And the tract of land where Mrs. Kilo lived is vacant. So, so much for economic development. Yeah, the wisdom of the city council and the developer. Just unbelievable. Perhaps that's a just end for, for uh, how this all thing, turn, thing turned out. But this is a big issue because it just underscores the importance of it. You know, private property is such an important concept here in the United States of America. And that was a real threat, this Keeler decision that was made by the Supreme Court. Yeah, and technically it still is a threat because the feds and the Supreme Court has not overturned the Kelo decision, like I say, the states have stepped in and granted uh, rights under eminent domain that are better than the federal government's rights. Uh, that's uh, the, the state government can't trump the federal government when it comes to property that the federal government seizes, but the states can yeah. uh, give more rights when it comes to property that the state governments seize. Well, again, just another decision contributing to the growth of uh, of our government uh, here in the United States. So let, let's move to economic liberties. I'd like to just open a conversation with uh, our our rights. Have they they have they been divided into categories? With some rights getting more protection than others? Yeah, economic liberty should include <clears throat> the right to form your own business without unwarranted government restrictions. Uh, but the Supreme Court decided that the this right to to enter into contracts and to own and use property, that right gets less protection than other so-called fundamental liberties. So our rights have been bifurcated. Uh, the court vigorously protects some rights, such as voting, uh, the rights in the Bill of Rights, plus uh, we're about to find out the extent to which they protect privacy. Uh, but it minimally protects other rights, such as the right to make an honest living. And it was all done with a single footnote in a case called United States versus Caroline Products back in 1938. And because of that footnote, the court rigorously reviews government regulations only if they infringe on a so-called fundamental right. Boy, well, we're seeing some more of that. So for our listeners' benefit, what does it mean to say that a right is uh, fundamental? The right has to be, quote, implicit in the concept of ordered liberty and, quote, 
deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. And if you read Alito's draft opinion in the the, uh, Mississippi abortion case, you'll see that he spends quite a bit of time in talking about fundamental rights. And how the right is defined, whether it's narrowly or broadly, makes all the difference. And in effect, it dictates the outcome of the case. So, for example, there was a case called Raish v. Gonzalez, where a sick person claimed a fundamental right to use medical marijuana in California, where it was legal, and she had a doctor's order. The Court of Appeals characterized the right as the use of marijuana for medical purposes, a narrow definition. Raish lost. Medical marijuana, said the court, isn't required for ordered liberty, nor is it deeply rooted into our nation's traditions and culture. If the court had adopted Raish's characterization of the right, she said it was the liberty to pursue a less painful existence. Mm -hmm. If the court had adopted that broad definition, she would have won. So the definition makes all the difference. Yeah, uh, devil's in the details, as they say. Really look forward to uh, picking up this conversation next week. Uh, uh, again, Bob, Bob uh, Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute. The website is cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Lots to talk about. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com. Or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. We have with us Andrew Joppa. He's a professor. He's an author. He written his name of his book is Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. How do you hear me today? This is the first time in five years we've used my landline, so is it uh, is it working? It sounds pretty good to me. Can you hear me? Uh, not quite the, the volume I normally have, but you're clear, Bob. All right. Well, so far, so good, Andy. <laughs> now, we normally start off with some good news. Are you finding any good news in the news uh, lately? Yeah, I think there certainly is a piece of good news coming out of yesterday's 
uh, primary elections in Ohio in, and Indiana. Uh, the top of the list in terms of good news is the uh, Senate primary win for J.D. Vance. Uh, I think it's good for uh, America, good for Vance, obviously, but also the uh, amount of support uh, that was generated by Trump. Uh, Vance essentially doubled uh, his popularity count and in, it reflected in the election uh, after the endorsement by, by President Trump. In, in total, in Ohio and Indiana, uh, 22 of the candidates, all for that matter, all of the candidates supported by Donald Trump won their primaries uh, in yesterday's election. Uh, so if anybody thinks that Trump's political strength is waning, um, I think they have to put that aside. Couldn't agree more, and I was so pleased to see the results. And I just underscore again that uh, Vance was uh, was a really a dark horse uh, back when he got the endorsement back in April, and when he did get the endorsement, it really turned around for him, and he ended up winning the race. It was just amazing. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt that uh, Vance's win was a factor, not a factor. It was, in fact, directly caused by Trump's endorsement. So I think that the Trump is showing his strength. And as long as we're here, let me let me talk about a strange event that happened the uh, day before yesterday, I believe. Noam Chomsky, who I'm not uh, a big fan of, but certainly recognized by most as one of the uh, strongest intellectuals in America. He's uh, far to the left, may, may be a Marxist, um, and certainly has been uh, a thorn in the side of conservative positions. However, uh, a couple of days ago, he indicated that the only international statesman of stature that has taken the correct position on Ukraine is Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Now, Donald Trump is not a man that Chomsky uh, has the slightest bit of respect for. But in this case, uh, Chomsky has pushed that aside, and I'm very glad to see it, and recognizes that the only man of stature uh, internationally that has taken the correct position on Ukraine was uh, our great ex-president, Donald Trump. Amazing. So I want to uh, talk to you about Ukraine. But before we do, of course, the abortion leak is getting sucking all the air out of the newsroom. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I have so many, it's, it's hard to put them into a uh, coherent form. Um, first of all, let, let's acknowledge what I think almost everyone has acknowledged, is the original Roe v. Wade ruling in 73 was unconstitutional. Its subsequent support in the Casey ruling in 92, equally unconstitutional. So I think there's very little doubt that that uh, ruling, both of those rulings, uh, were inherently unconstitutional. There's almost no doubt in, in anyone's mind. Um, and yet now we have a situation where uh, Alito's um, uh, memo uh, has been leaked, apparently by one of the, uh, the court clerks, as best we can tell, although there's no specifics to it, uh, again, showing that uh, the court does have the ability to uh, reprocess information uh, based on a uh, on new information as it unfolds. And at this point, apparently, they are going to uh, to reverse the uh, the Roe Wade decision. Of course, that would also reverse the Casey decision of '92. Um, my thought on that is that uh, I, that basic sequence of events, Bob, tends to, in my estimation, uh, weaken the reality of the court in the sense that. Uh, this case, uh, dealing, the cases dealing with abortion, have been reviewed on multiple occasions, and they've always supported Roe Wade. Uh, now to go in the opposite direction, and I agree with the, the, the reversal. I absolutely agree with it. But I think it, in fact, uh, diminishes the court uh, by, in fact, having a 50-year precedent um, a court ruling uh, then overturned uh, today or in this uh, current time period. Now, we have to recognize that it has not yet been overturned. Uh, this is just a, um, a, a brief that was uh, created, and there's multiple briefs that exist between uh, this point and the final ruling, which will come in June or July, although it has been suggested, and I would support that suggestion, that the court should immediately move uh, towards, in fact, taking their vote right now uh, on the on the current situation uh, as it pertains to uh, Dobbs versus uh, Jackson Women's Health Organization or Dobbs versus Mississippi, uh, as it's called. So uh, to avoid the pressures that are already being created by the left uh, in response to this leaked memorandum, uh, Senator Mike Lee from Utah and several others, and I support this, as I say, uh, I believe the court should immediately move towards a, a final vote on this. Uh, if, in fact, it gets extended to June or July and the vote is not uh, one to overturn Roe Wade, 
obviously it will be interpreted as a response uh, to Democrat violent threats of pressure. Uh, and I think that is a position that the court uh, cannot be seen as having responded to. And I think the only way to avoid that is to take the vote uh, right now. Now, I have other thoughts on this, but let me let me just stop right there. Yeah, so I, I will t- I'll take exception with one point, and, and that is the concept of stare decisis. We uh, right now we have a number of uh, situations because of the Supreme Court has made previous stupid decisions. We continue to have the same laws on the book and the same point of view with regard to the Supreme Court. I like the departure. I like the fact that they're saying we're willing to overturn this law now because it opens the door to take a look at other stupid decisions that had been made in the past in order to correct and, and get back to the Constitution. Well, I, I think you might have been at a presentation I made at the Hilton where um, I absolutely supported the rejection of stare decisis as the as a primary for deciding constitutional uh, law. Right. Uh, so I, I totally uh, agree with that with that position. Um, I'm not uh, rejecting my view on this or the one you just uh, suggested, uh, but I, I in this case of abortion, uh, it is such a volatile issue. I, I have a um, serious doubts as to whether or not shifting this back into the hands of the states uh, will in fact produce a a beneficial outcome. Right now it's projected, Bob, that 21 states already have existing trigger laws uh, in which once Roe Wade was overturned, these trigger laws would essentially ban abortion in those states. And I have no problem with that. But what I'm suggesting, Bob, is to project this back into the states where every state vote for the legislature or the governor's chair uh, will, in fact, probably be decided uh, by, by the abortion issue, um, that bothers me, Bob, that that is going to be the basis, almost the exclusive basis in some states, for the election of legislatures uh, or, or governors. So uh, maybe my fear is unfounded, uh, but I think this is going to be a dramatic new statement of the disunity in America. If we look at our own immediate area here in Florida, for your listeners there outside of Florida, uh, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, Mississippi, Tennessee, all are projected to ban abortion completely at this point. So um, I don't know how this will all play out, but I do think it's going to set America into uh, political turmoil all derived from an issue that does not deal with the essential problems of America, and that's abortion. I'm not trying to diminish the importance of the abortion issue, but I'm saying it should not be the focus point for our creation of political positions, Bob. Okay, well, just a couple of points to the to the points you're making is that, uh, first of all, the... Uh, uh, the uh, lawmaking with regard to abortion should be in the state houses and the state legislatures and not in the federal government. That's where it belongs. They're deliberative bodies and they can make their decisions. The second thing is that abortion has to do, the real question is, when does it become murder? And that's, that's a very deep philosophical question. When does life begin uh, and when, uh, when is it considered murder in the eyes of the law uh, when, when you take a baby's life? And uh, the more I'm learning, the more I, I believe it gets closer and closer to the point of, of conception. That said, uh, to me, uh, there's already been some states like California, if I'm not mistaken, that saying we will be a haven for abortion. You can come to California and get, get your abortion if you want to. My guess is there'll be some sort of, sort of a funding mechanism and uh, scholarships and so forth for people to be able to take advantage of uh, states like California that want to uh, be a harbinger for abortion. So my point is, uh, we getting back to the Constitution, if we could just get, this is just another step towards getting back to what the Founding Fathers had in mind, and I'm for it. Bob, Bob I, I agree with everything you're saying. So my, my fears are not based on legality. They're not based on even my view of abortion. I have views that, that color my positions right. uh, in the sense that I, I can see America being thrown into political turmoil as a derivative. Now, your position, or not your point rather than position, uh, when does it become murder? I'd like to see this more. As when does government have a vested interest in, in fact, intruding on, on a woman's nine-month gestation period. Now, in terms of Roe Wade, Roe Wade said at 28 weeks viability occurred. Uh, in the, in the um, 
the case in, in ninety in, in the case in ninety two, the the Casey decision, uh that that dropped it down to I believe twenty three weeks. Mm-hmm. And right now the Mississippi case uh has moved it down to fifteen weeks. And I think those are movements that are taking place uh without any uh, attack on Roe Wade itself. So I could make an additional position because I'm very, very torn on all this. You can probably hear that in what I'm saying. Uh, but again, the, the movement has been in the right direction. It has been moved towards fewer and fewer weeks, defining viability. Uh, and so I think that uh, this is the, the way this, this whole process has been moving. So I am concerned. That's all I can tell you, Bob. I am concerned about how this will create a relative uh, havoc. Uh, especially at the state level, in terms of their future elections. Yeah, no, you're, you're, I think your concerns are well-founded, Andy. I need to take a little break right now. Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and the website is thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Droppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good to be with you. And just a couple of parting comments on abortion before we move on to other topics. Uh, Quick thoughts. I hope they're quick, actually, so we can get into other things. Uh, First of all, they they keep referring to the judges that are going to author this uh, reversal of Roe uh, as conservative judges. That's always bothered me. Uh, The court is divided into uh, liberal political judges and originalists, those that obey the Constitution and those that refuse to obey the Constitution. So these are are judges not functioning uh, as conservatives politically. These are judges that are functioning to support uh, the intent of the Constitution. And I, that always bothers me when I hear these judges referred to as conservative. They are not. Right. Uh, another thing is the uh, into Alito's brief. Uh, he built in comments uh, about the uh, is to ensure that there was no uh, yielding to extraneous influences. He understood exactly the implication of what this ruling would uh, would cause in terms of political outrage from the left, and we've seen that already, uh, and he built that in to his brief, those comments uh, that he was aware of that, 
uh, and they would not yield to extraneous influences. And, and one more thing, somewhat on the negative implication of, of the reversal, uh, the Democrats are going to gain some fuel for uh, the possibility of impeachment of, of Supreme Court judges should they gain the ability to do so, uh, packing the court again if they gain the ability, and the blowing up of the filibuster. Uh, so I, I think those are things that will be uh, made stronger as a Democrat fulfillment potential uh, with this overturn of Roe Wade. And I'm not saying that should stop this from happening, but I am saying we can look at that as being part uh, of the end result of this process. Well, I think I think you're exactly right in terms of the intent. There's no question in my mind, looking at this politically, that this was a leaked and it was a it was a concerted effort on the parts of many folks. They how did these people show up with placards at the Supreme Court uh, within hours uh, uh, for uh, uh, protesting against the the uh, possible decision on Roe v. Wade? How is that possible? Everybody seemed to be orchestrating their comments. Uh, Elizabeth Warren shows up. Uh, you know the comments from Nancy Pelosi and from uh, the uh, Senate, uh, the leader of the Senate. It's just to me just so obvious that this is just another ploy in order to try and sway voters towards the midterm elections. My opinion, it's not going to work because quite now, right now, I think the sentiment is on the side of people uh, reducing uh, uh, not the availability of abortions, but abortions uh, after a certain time period. I think this whole effort on their part is going to fail as their entire agenda has up to this point. I, I certainly hope that's that's correct. I uh, I don't want anything either way to be decided at the national level on the basis of abortion. Uh, but you're right. I think they are doing this to uh, to gain strength going into 2022 midterms. Uh, I think you're right also that it will not it will not work. But, you know, again, I think we can see the Democrats uh, going into this process and they're starting it now, obviously. And this is going to continue right through November. Uh, I'm optimistic, uh, presuming legal elections, as I always do, Bob, uh, that there will be a tremendous, tremendous landslide uh, for Republicans in both the House and the Senate in 2022. Right. So let's, you know, let's move to the uh, Disinformation Governance Board. This is kind of a scary concept, and I can't believe that this uh, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas has come up with this concept and think and thought that it would fly. I mean, we're talking about, the, the what, the Bureau of Troop, <laughs> Truth? The, the Ministry of Truth, as yeah. it's been referred to. Yeah, to me, uh, this is just a scary, scary concept. Uh, you and I last week had talked about something that uh, has not been brought into this conversation. I'm surprised it hasn't. Uh, and that is something that Europe created, uh, will go into effect in 2024, the European Digital Services Act, which is, uh, to the largest extent, a government monitor of uh, of platforms in terms of content, which is, uh, to the largest extent, what we'll see uh, if this disinformation this, this governance board uh, comes into effect. Uh, it is so outrageous on its face in terms of, uh, of what it portends. Uh, now, Mayorkas has suggested that it's, uh, it's not going to be that, that it'll only deal with, with foreign intrusions on our information sources. That's absolute nonsense. Uh, we all know that as this thing unfolds, this is going to have direct impact on the information that the government will allow, in quotation marks, will allow to go out to the, to the American people. And I think it's also a, a partial response, if not the complete response, uh, to the Elon Musk takeover of, of, of Twitter. Uh, that now the absurdity uh, of Biden and Mayorkas, whoever supported the candidacy uh, of Nina Jankowicz, uh, to put that woman, that particular person in charge of this is such an outrageous slap in the face to all Americans. Right. Uh, I can't believe they would do it other than for that purpose. It, it seems to be done with the intent of, of actually uh, insulting the American people. So I think we're looking at a, a strange situation. Uh, I think that the disinformation governance board is not going to float, is not going to be made, made operative. So then the question is, why did they do it? And um, I just have to think it's primarily built around uh, a response to uh, Elon Musk takeover of of Twitter, Bob. Well, also, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, when he was testifying, he's lying. He He's telling all the, this is complete misinformation coming from him about what's happening on the border. So well, I think what he's trying to do is to protect his narrative 
so that if anybody disagrees with it, it could be reviewed by this by this board. To me, it's just absolutely it, the the offense to the First Amendment could not be stronger. Now, look, the First Amendment to me is an, I'm I'm, an, I'm a First Amendment absolutist, Bob. Uh, I don't think the government has any right to suppress any speech at any time. Uh, now, I know there are people who will scream at me, what about fire in a crowded theater? If it was fire in a crowded theater, Bob, there'd be state laws, there'd be local laws, uh, there'd be uh, other types of, of actions that could be taken, but not the restriction of speech itself. The government has absolutely no role to play. It says uh, government, Congress shall create no law. It doesn't say except Congress shall create no law. So in this sense, I am uh, perhaps one of the, the, the rare uh, free speech absolutists. I don't think any restriction by government is appropriate. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, I mean, uh, now released just yesterday, U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention purchased access to vast trove of data collected from cell phones of millions of Americans to monitor overall compliance with COVID-19 lockdown orders throughout the country. Have you heard about this? I've heard about it. I'm not familiar with it in depth, though, Bob. Well, so, I mean, you're talking about the... the uh, Ministry of Truth. I mean, now we're talking another arm of this entire thing is understanding what Americans are doing and trying to track them and, and, and their behavior. I mean, this is beginning to look very much like China. Well, I think all of this, or much of this at least, has been going on uh, uh, before the uh, the uh, concept of the Ministry of Truth was uh, even considered. I think this has been happening. We could probably track it back to the Obama administration. There's no doubt in my mind that that's true. Uh, and I think what we're looking at is a, an extension of processes that have already been in place to, to monitor average citizens in terms of their, their political directions. And of course, the Democrats interpret every support of Trump, every support of the America First agenda as being a sign of, of, of American extremism. Yeah. Just absolute nonsense, of course, Bob. Absolutely. So let's, I want to make sure that we talk about Ukraine before I let you go, Andy. Uh, any, what are your thoughts? Well, I... Uh, <laughs> I have many thoughts, and they're, they're very negative as it pertains to our great country. Uh, I think the United States is, in fact, um, uh, creating a situation where, as, as, as Pelosi said when she visited uh, Ukraine and, and Zelensky, that the United States will not accept a defeat, will not accept any, any settlement. We will push this to final victory, that we, she used the word, we will have final victory. Uh, obviously, defining that America... Uh, at least that in those political circles, sees ourselves as it should be seen, Bob, uh, as, as being at war with Russia. Uh, so the, the voices, and I quoted uh, Chomsky before, in terms of the movement towards a diplomatic settlement is not part of the formal American position at this point. Uh, and in doing so, and supplying uh, Ukraine with uh, uh, more and more weapons, some of the more offensive weapons, long-range artillery, for example, uh, we're looking at creating a stronger and stronger possibility uh, of ultimately Russia invoking some of the military capacity that they have really kept in reserve. If anyone thinks that Russia has been using all of their military potential in Ukraine, they're out of their minds. There is a, a vast untapped potential of what Russia could bring into that battle, and they will if it looks like their defeat is, is imminent at any point. Uh, so Chomsky's point, and again, I support it, uh, is that you'll either have a diplomatic solution or you'll have the destruction of one of the two parties. It'll either be Ukraine or, or Russia, and it won't be Russia. Yeah, very sad. Uh, beginning, it's, it's beginning to look very much like the entrance into uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, unfortunately, the saber-rattling and all the things that are going on. There has to be somebody saying that can sit down and actually say, "Can't maybe we can hear each other out, uh, seek first to understand." I mean, you know, there should be some effort in in order to negotiate uh, peace here. What do you what do you make of uh, uh, right now uh, Putin uh, going in for cancer surgery at this time? Um, it seems to be uh, true. We don't know the. Uh, the extent of the of the cancer, it, I've heard it was stomach cancer, and he also has has Parkinson's. These these may or may not be true, um, but they seem to be. Uh, we also know that standing in the wings, I think, is the head of Russian security. I'm not sure if that's the exact title. Who would take over the role uh, of Putin if Putin became disabled or passed? Um, and essentially, uh, he's far. 
he's far stronger and more vehement in these positions than is Putin himself. Huh. So I think that if the world starts rooting against Putin, uh, I think they have to watch what they're wishing for, right. because what will happen in Russia will not become uh, a weaker Russia or a less nationalistic Russia, but one that is more committed uh, to the aims that Putin has already addressed. Uh, so we're looking at a situation that uh, is, is, in my estimation, uh, coming closer and closer to the potential of war. Uh, and I don't understand why we are willing uh, to push the envelope that far. Uh, it seems to be a, a very – it's like they don't believe it can happen. It's one of these things that uh, people of limited uh, creativity, let's say, their mindset is not creative enough to understand what this would look like if, in fact, Putin was pushed uh, into a state of national survival for Russia. And just taking a step back and taking a look at the interest of the United States right now, here we are, $30 trillion in debt, plus, plus. Uh, we ha have a, a leaky border right now. Nobody's uh, mining the border. You have free entrance into the United States. Uh, it's costing us billions of dollars a year in terms of support for the illegal aliens that are coming into the United States. We have rapid inflation. Uh, with uh, much higher than 8.5%, in my opinion. So we have so many issues right now, and there is no, we don't have a strategic interest in what happens in Ukraine. Now, we can certainly support them, encourage them, as, and use the rule of law, the UN, all these types of resources in order to, to help influence the outcome. But you're right, when Nancy Pelosi refers to it as our war, uh, this is getting into an area that's very scary. I, I totally agree with what you just said. I think the, the left would indicate that uh, perhaps they wouldn't indicate, but I think it's, it's, uh, it's a motivating force. I think this whole thing in Ukraine has been a, uh, a proxy for our intent to destroy the Russian government, to at least dislodge Putin, to weaken that government to the point, and I think they've said this, Austin said this, uh, essentially that his uh, intent is to so weaken the Russian military that it no longer in the future is a viable force. Uh, I think the Democrats are uh, taking a position behind closed doors, perhaps, but a position that they want to so dis, uh, dismantle the Russian military and political system that once we actively uh, engage China, that Russia will not be there as an ally. Uh, whether that's true or not, it is what I have, have heard on multiple occasions. Uh, I don't support that position, but essentially I think they would say that is the national interest, Bob. So interesting. Andrew Jopp, again, professor and author of uh, Josephus of Oz, a great read, off topic for today's discussion, but a terrific read, Josephus of Oz. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences 
with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.optimaed.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. That's a wrap on the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. I learned a lot, and I hope you did too. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. I would appreciate that as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>